Last week, at the end of our passage, Jesus gave a warning. Jesus said this in verse 35 of chapter 11. Watch out that the light that is in you is not darkness. Now, you've heard me say this over and over, but often what we do is we take last week's sermon and we push it to the side. Or we take yesterday's Bible reading and we push it off to the side. And we don't see how our Bible reading from one day to the next day is connected or how a previous sermon relates to a present sermon. But it's with all intentionality that that Luke does what he does as we study through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He, He warns about darkness. He warns in verse 35, he says, again, watch out that the light that is in you is not darkness. And then he describes Jesus condemning the religious leaders, particularly the Pharisees and the scribes. Many translations have the word lawyer, but when we think of lawyer, we think of, a, of a, maybe a barrister or a, a prosecutor like Doris Lee or a, a defense attorney. <laughs> but in the Bible, when the word lawyer is used, it's talking about a religious scholar. Some translations refer to them as, as a scribe. Who were these Pharisees? Well, we know they were bad guys. We, we know that they, that they were complicit in the murder of Jesus. We know that they were Jesus' primary opponents because we've read the Gospels. We, we see them referred to over and over again. We see them making accusations against Jesus, plotting uh, schemes against Jesus. But who were they? Uh, let's think about them for just, for just a moment. The word Pharisee means separated ones. The Pharisees separated themselves from ordinary average people. Uh, They pushed them away. They were separated from them. Uh, Because the Pharisees lived according to the oral traditions. The Pharisees were legalists that lived by rules and regulations. Many of them not found in the Bible. And so for the average person who worked from sunrise to sunset, just barely able to eke out a living, who weren't able to follow all of the rules and the regulations that the Pharisees followed and that the Pharisees placed on people's backs, well, the Pharisees wanted very little to do with them. So they separated themselves from them. But they also separated themselves to to live according to those oral traditions, those those oral laws. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament, some of them negative, thou shalt not, some of them positive, thou shalt. But that wasn't enough for them. So they added more and more and more laws and regulations for the people to follow. Maybe the best way for us to think about who the Pharisees were, what they believed, is to compare them to the Sadducees. The Sadducees were another religious group that were in opposition to Jesus. So as we read through our Bibles, often we see the word Pharisee and the word Sadducee, but we really don't know much about them. Uh, Let me give you just a, a, a little history lesson about these two for just a moment. The Pharisees controlled the temple. I'm sorry, the Pharisees controlled the synagogues. 
and the Sadducees controlled the temple. When you went to the temple, it was under Sadducean domination. They were the chief priests. They were the religious elite. The Pharisees, however, who controlled the synagogues, they were the teachers of the law. They were scattered throughout Galilee and Judea where Jesus lived and ministered. While the Sadducees were held up in Jerusalem in and around the temple. The Pharisees believed in divine sovereignty. They believed God superintended all of the events of all of life. While the Sadducees believed in human freedom, that God turned the world over to humanity to make choices, and the choices that people made were completely separate from anything that God had ordained. The Pharisees believed that the law, the prophets, and the writings were all divinely inspired. That is what we call the Old Testament. They believed all of that was divinely inspired and fully authoritative. The Sadducees, interestingly enough, only believed the first five books of the Old Testament to be divinely authoritative, divinely inspired. The writings and the, and the prophets, well, they were a secondary literature to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the law. Interestingly enough, the Pharisees believed in a coming Messiah. The Sadducees didn't believe in a coming Messiah. The Pharisees believed in the future bodily resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees didn't believe in a future bodily resurrection from the dead. And as you could probably surmise, the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated and despised one another for these differences. So Jesus turns his attention here, not to the Sadducees, but to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the Pharisees, the scribes. A lot of contemporary scholars and Bible commentators say this is a, this is a very anti-Semitic passage we're looking at. That the, the words Jesus speaks are anti-Semitic and complicit in the kind of attitude that led to the Holocaust. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. How can a Jewish man be anti-Semitic? Jesus was Jewish, and Jesus is speaking in a way like the prophets of old used to speak. He's condemning these religious people the Pharisees and the scribes, just like Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets, Amos, would have condemned their contemporary hypocrites as well. So I want you to notice in the, in the opening of this, Jesus condemns the legalism of the Pharisees. They were characterized as legalistic. And at the very heart of their issue was they weren't concerned with who they were. They were only concerned with how they looked, with the, the way people perceived them, the way people thought about them. That's why Jesus said to them, clean the inside of the cup, not just the outside. They were concerned about the outside. They were concerned about appearances. They were concerned that people see them and think of them as being religious. But Jesus wanted a religion that didn't start on the outside. He wanted a religion that began on the inside. And so in the opening verses, 37 through 41, that's where he starts. 
But that's not where he ends because he's going to excoriate. He's going to, he's going to skewer them, excoriate them. By a series of woes, a series of, of condemnations. We don't, we're not familiar with this kind of talk very much. But we need to be reminded of the fact these are the words of our Savior. These are the words of Jesus speaking to whom he deemed religious hypocrites. Again, I don't think we have any people that would be full-blown Pharisees here today. But I think all of us, me included, have a little bit of it somewhere inside of us. So let's see what Jesus said. The first woe is in verse 42. And the point that Jesus is making is that Pharisees are unable to distinguish between issues which are of utmost importance from those matters that are of lesser importance. Listen to verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithes of mint, rue, and every kind of garden herb, and yet you ignore justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. They, they focused on tithing the most minute of garden plants. Very, very, very persnickety about making sure that God got his tithe off of the garden plants and every other source of income. But what they didn't do is they didn't demonstrate much kindness toward people. They weren't very considerate. They weren't very kind. They weren't very loving. And Jesus is saying, one should not ignore the other. That is, you should be kind and caring and loving and generous to people, while at the same time carrying out your other spiritual responsibilities. Look at the second woe. The second woe is in verse 43. Pharisees are proud and secretly long to be honored and recognized for their superiority to others. Every time Jesus condemns the Pharisees, there's always this, this issue of pride that he deals with, this sense of superiority, uh, whether it's status or whether it's economic or whether it's ethnic. Uh, he condemns pride in all its forms. Listen to what Jesus says. Uh, what Jesus says in verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the seat of honor in the synagogues and personal greetings in the marketplace. And they want to be recognized for their accomplishments. They, they, they have to have the best because they deserve the best because they are the best. The third woe. Phariseeism spreads like an unexpected, infectious disease. That is, whatever hint of Phariseeism we have, and we have some of it, we pass it along to our children. It, it, it is infectious, and it, is, and it easily spreads because they hear what we say. They listen sometimes to the, to the disdain in our voice if we're talking about other people. 
People who don't raise their children the way we raise them. People who maybe let their children go to the movies that, that we wouldn't let. They hear us. And that slight arrogance and condescension in our demeanor, well, I just wouldn't let my kids play in a sport like that. They, they pick up on it. And what happens is we are infecting them with a serious disease. It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's not that we don't love our children. It's not even that we don't love the families of the people that we're criticizing. But they, they, they hear what we're saying and in our minds we're thinking. I mean, if, if they were parents like I was, if they did like I did, they would be better off. But we don't know their circumstances. We don't know their heart. We can't see. We're not their Lord. We can't see into their home. And so there is this infectious disease. In verse 44, he says, Woe to you, for you are like unseen tombs, and the people who walk over, you, walk over them are unaware of it. You come in contact with a dead body, and you would be ritually impure. So it's like walking through a cemetery, not noticing the gravestones because they've been whitewashed, and then having walked through the cemetery and looking back, you realize, oh my goodness, I've just, I've just infected myself spiritually by, by walking on graves. And what he's warning us is this. There's an infectiousness. It's like a spreadable disease. And we want to be cautious of it. So the first three condemnations go against the Pharisees. Now, not every Pharisee was a scribe, but every scribe was a Pharisee. Most Pharisees were laymen. Laymen who committed to living according to, to, the, to the oral traditions. All of these rules and regulations. For example, the Bible says keep the Sabbath day holy. But in order to not take any opportunity that we might transgress the Sabbath day, the Pharisees developed 39 rules, 39 regulations, 39 stipulations. If you'll follow these 39 stipulations, well, there's no chance you're going to break the Sabbath regulation to keep the Lord's Day holy. And so you couldn't walk more than two-thirds of a mile on the Sabbath day unless you break into a sweat. That'd be considered work. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath day unless you see a gray hair and, and pluck it out. That'd be considered work. You would cook your meal on Friday rather than Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, because if you heated up your food on the Sabbath day by, by making a fire to heat it up, well, that would be considered work. So they had all of these rules and regulations governing the Sabbath day. It seems very spiritual, yeah, very reasonable. You, know, you don't want to break the Lord's day. So let's make a whole bunch of rules that can't be found in the Bible that would then determine how we live on the Sabbath day. That was the Pharisees, and, and most of them were laymen. But who developed those rules? The scribes. The scribes were the religious teachers. They were the theologians of the Jewish world. They were the ones that came up with those lists of which the Pharisees would obey. 
So if Jesus condemns the legalism of the Pharisees, he condemns the arrogance of the religious teachers because they stood in the place of God. They placed burdens on people that God hadn't placed on them. So the fourth woe, the first woe to the the scribes, but the fourth woe is the scribes burden people with legalistic rules without offering any help. They told people what to do, but not how to do it. They burdened them down like a heavy backpack. Listen to verse 45 and 46. Uh, One of the lawyers, one of the scribes, one of the religious scholars, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. He should have been quiet. He shouldn't have said anything. So Jesus now turns his attention to them. Woe to you. Woe to you lawyers as well, for you load people with burdens that are hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. They weighed people down with non-biblical requirements. Woe number five, the scribes faked obedience while looking pious. Nobody can do all of these rules and regulations. It's easy to teach them. It's another thing to actually live them. So the scribes were renowned for faking their obedience by looking pious but not living piously. Listen to verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. And so rather than, rather than speak against their fathers who killed the prophets, they decorated the tombs of the prophets their father killed, their fathers killed. But look with me at number, number six, the sixth woe. The scribes substitute works for faith. This is the most important of all. Jesus says, woe to you lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge, you yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. So here are these religious scholars. They had much of the Old Testament memorized. They would stand in the synagogues literally all over Judea and Galilee. And the people would hang on their every word. And yet Jesus says they're going to hell. And those who buy into their form of legalism will go to hell also. Because they turned people, they they directed people not to faith, but to works. You're saved by what you do. And that's the greatest of the condemnations. They, They turned people from God because when people looked at their religion, they saw a grotesque God. They saw an ugly God a wrathful, angry, mean God. Now, there is a wrath to God. God is a God of wrath. God is a God of judgment. But Paul put it this way, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads them to repentance. Not rules and regulations, because we can't fix ourselves up. We can't do enough to save ourselves. 
And so the point that, the point that Jesus is making here, when, when you adhere to a regulation religion, a rules-oriented religion, uh, a graceless religion, you have no hope. There's no possibilities of salvation. Because we're saved by grace, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So as Pastor Jeff told us just a few moments ago in prayer, he wasn't saved by what he did. He was saved by what he received as a gift. He was saved by grace through faith at the age of 10. Well, let me make a a few brief observations for you from a still recovering Pharisee. Because I told you, there's none of us in here that would fit the mold of a first century Pharisee. There's none of us in here that would fit the, fit the, the mold of a scribe. But I find, even though I was saved at 18 and now 64, there's still a little Phariseeism in me. And I constantly have to watch it. The first question I would like to ask you, kind of a diagnostic sort of question, do you do you tend to see everything as black or white? Are there any grays where you're a little bit uncertain, or are you certain about everything, right or wrong? Now, clearly, there's a lot that's right, and there's a lot that's wrong, but there are other things that aren't quite so clear. If I'm not careful, I will put those things into a category where they don't belong. Do you tend to see everything as black or white? Second, don't make your preferences into rules and then force them on others. Don't make your preferences into rules and then force them on others. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes did by burdening people down. You may have preferences about whether you watch TV on Sunday or not. Don't take your rules, which may be helpful for your family, and try to impose them mentally, we're too smart to say it orally, on everybody else's family. So don't make your preferences, I shouldn't make my preferences, into rules and force them on others. Third, Cultivate humility and kindness toward others, something that that you find missing in Jesus' condemnation of the religious leaders is any disposition on their part of kindness and openness and, and humility. They're arrogant, they're proud, they're condescending, they're argumentative. And so seek to continue to be ever growing in humility and kindness. Treat people kindly as you almost always do, and as I hope I almost always do. 
But the more humble we are and the more kind we are, the more like Jesus we are. It doesn't mean that we don't take firm stands on on things that are clearly right or wrong. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means we understand that all people have been created in God's image and they deserve to be treated with kindness and respect. Fourth, Remember the word Pharisee means separated ones. Do you isolate yourself from people that don't measure up to your standards? Oh, praise God, Jesus didn't do that. I mean, I I, I was thinking about this the other day. Oh, my goodness, what if Jesus separated himself from me because I didn't live up to his standards? He He would have never saved me. He would never have adopted me. I don't measure up to his standards. I kind of suspect you don't either. And so do you separate yourself from people that don't measure up to your standards? The word Pharisee means separated ones. So would would you be afraid to go to the Avery? I don't think you would. I know most of you, you're not that way, but sometimes there's a little tinge of it in most of us. Number five, when was the last time you consciously repented of sin and asked someone to forgive you? When was the last time you said to the Lord, Father, I I, I sinned against you, I did this, I thought this, And if you're married, when was the last time you asked your spouse to forgive you? I have to do it quite often, to be quite frank. We were walking to yesterday. I like to be outside, even in the cold weather. So we're walking to get me a cup of coffee and to get Jaylen a soft drink. And on the way up there, she's, got, she's very enthusiastic. She, she, I, I love her enthusiasm. She's got an idea about something. And, and before she gets into it very far, it costs too much money, sweetheart. We can't do that. And so we walked a little bit, and she didn't say it angrily. She just said it very kindly. You didn't even hear what my idea was. And I, I, I did not listen to her idea in that moment. I ask her to forgive me. I ask her to share her idea with me. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to share your idea with someone that's just poured cold water on it without even thinking about it, out even, without even hearing it, and, and measuring it s- simply by the fact this is probably going to cost money, though not that much money. When was the last time you asked your spouse genuinely, authentically, Please forgive me. When was the last time you asked your children? Do you ever apologize to your children? If not, you've got a serious blind spot because let me tell you, I remember being a parent and I remember messing up a lot. I think more about it now that my kids are grown than I, than I did when they were, when the, when they were growing, growing up. I wish I'd have been more sensitive to it. Most kids give their parents a lot of grace, a lot of room for, for sins and mistakes, and they, they still love them and, and, uh, and are gracious toward them. But 
When was the last time, if you have children, that you asked them to forgive you? If not, why not? I can tell you it's not because you haven't wronged them in some way. And so, Phariseeism is an infectious disease that distorts the heart. That is, our heart determines what we see with our, with our eyes. And so, Luke wrote this to disciple us. Luke wrote this to help us. Luke wrote this so that we could love Jesus more, more fully and care for one another more completely. I'm going to ask you if you'll pray with me, and then Craig will come and the band, and we'll sing, and then I have a presentation I would like to make. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. It's a hard word. It's a word that's not easy to preach, and it's a word that's not easy to receive. And yet, Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters who uh, receive it so graciously and warmly embrace it so, so uh, fully. Uh, Father, as we sing now, let us worship a God who saved us from Phariseeism and a God who drew us out of the darkness into the light. In Jesus' name, amen.